You remember we're on this journey of talking about faith and trust and uh, kind of thinking through that. Um, Paul, at the beginning of uh, the year, said these words that have been kind of launching off. He said, trust is different to faith. Trust is resting in the Father. Faith is moving in the Father, directing the power. So this idea that trust and faith are two different things. One is resting, one is moving. And we've been exploring it a little bit, this idea of trust and rest and faith. We said faith is about being active, declaring, proclaiming, stepping out into new things. Faith is about speaking to the storm to still it. But then there is a sense of trust, of learning to be content and to be at peace. Trust is about recognizing you are looked after and cared for, even when there is a great storm going on around you. So we've said this trusting in God is resting in the love of God. So trusting in God is resting in the love of God. And many of us are wired um, to work. We work hard at things. And we've heard a message of faith, uh, rightly so, because uh, it's a very important part of it. But, but there is also a different side of it, which is not working hard in faith, which is learning to rest in trust. And there's power in both. Because the, the trick, the skill is learning when to do which. Because there might be times when you're meant to rest and there might be times when you're meant to be in faith. And getting those two things right is a, is a learning journey. Um, but to trust in God is choose to believe that he's with you, that he has your best at heart, that he's heard you cry, even when it feels like it's falling on deaf ears. Um, you know, it is to do exactly what, you know, Faye expressed, you know, because I'll... Here, she, she can have a terrible headache and you know, she write this like one of the most real, raw letters to God I've ever heard about how she was feeling. But the next day she went down, played the piano and worshipped him. That, that's what it means to do it. Even though you've just written this letter, you don't throw it all out. That's what David did all the time. That's what David did. He, he was raw and honest and real and then he went, but I'm going to praise you, Jesus. And uh, that, of course, is perhaps part of the reason uh, why we get breakthroughs, because we learn to be real and raw and honest, as well as praising him and blessing him. I'll praise you for my breakthrough. Trust is being rested, peaceful and calm when all around you a storm is raging. And we said this, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago. Trust is not letting your heart be troubled. So Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And that word troubled is very interesting. It means to agitate to take away calmness of mind, to make restless, to be struck with fear and dread, to be rendered anxious or distressed, to be perplexed. Well, that pretty much sums up most of the world right now. It is troubled, anxious, perplexed, concerned, slightly hopeful, but not really wanting to be hopeful because the rug's been pulled out of the feet too many times. But Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled because there is an antidote. The antidote is to trust in God and trust in Jesus. And so the result of trusting is obviously the opposite of letting your heart be troubled. The result of trusting is to not be agitated, to be at peace, to be at rest, to be without anxiety and distress, and to not be perplexed. That's what it means. So the outworking of trust is that. Which is why it's so important to talk about right now, because many people live troubled lives in the sense of that definition. 
But Jesus is really clear there is an antidote. And a couple of weeks ago, our anchor started talking about trust and faith. And one of the key lines from a teaching was this. Trust must be built. And it takes effort, vulnerability, honesty, and sacrifice. Notice there are a few words that are not in there. One of which is time. But we'll get on that later. Uh, not this week, actually, but later. But, but I do just want to say, trust takes effort, vulnerability, honesty, and sacrifice. Those are the four keys. There may be a couple more. But, um, yeah, let me not rush ahead to next week. But that's the starting point. But before we go on to uh, about trust and, and why it's important, I want to look at something else first. Why, why would we bother to build trust? Because, of course, you're going to... You're gonna, in God, you're gonna, your heart's not going to be troubled, but why bother with each other? Why bother wanting a, if it's going to be hard work, sacrifice, effort, vulnerability, all difficult things, why would we want to bother being in trust in relationships? Well, this is why. Because you can love someone and not trust them. You can honor someone and not trust them. You can understand someone and not trust them. That is one thing that is impossible without trust, and it's one of the things we were created for. So these verses in Genesis, Genesis 2:25 and Genesis 3:8, say the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So one of the my understandings of the Genesis story is that it's a picture of humanity. It's a picture of what we are like and what we were created for. And one of the things uh, we were created for in our humanity is that Adam and Eve were together and they were naked. And that is a picture, not just of clothes, but of our original design. In other words, there's nothing to cover up. There's nothing to hide. It speaks of openness. It speaks of honesty. It speaks of vulnerability. It speaks of transparency. And of course, it speaks of intimacy. It speaks of intimacy. And it's not just with God, with one another, but it's also with God because God walks in the garden with human beings in that place of openness, honesty, vulnerability, and transparency. That's what, that, that's what the original design tells us. Originally, you were designed good. You were not designed terrible. You were designed good. And it was a good original design, designed for you to be together with nothing to hide, nothing to hide behind, no mask to put on, no face to put on, no pretense. You were just there, and there was no shame associated with that. You were designed for intimacy. And when I say intimacy, I mean emotional intimacy. You were designed for lots of different intimacies, but predominantly I'm going to talk about emotional intimacy this morning. You were designed for it. That's what Adam and Eve shows you when they're there together. It shows you that these two people were designed to have nothing between them. Nothing separating them. So you were designed for emotional intimacy because to be loved is to be known and to be known is to be loved. So you were designed for emotional intimacy. Now, uh, let's talk about the hormone oxytocin for a little while. Because our world has mistaken physical intimacy as the height of intimacy. And there is a reason for that. Well, there's a number of reasons. But one of the reasons is a hormone called oxytocin. Oxytocin gets released into your bloodstream through closeness, touch, cuddles, and when two people are together. I'm aware of the children in the room this morning. When two people are together, okay, oxytocin gets released. And uh, oxytocin works like a hormonal glue that holds relationships together. 
It makes you feel close. It's also addictive. In the same way that dopamine is addictive, which is why you can't stop scrolling on your phone. Because you get a dopamine hit every time. So oxytocin is also addictive. So when you get a hug, or when you get close to somebody, or when a husband and a wife are together, oxytocin gets released and you get this sense of, oh, it just feels nice, it feels close, it's, it's really nice. But that nice feeling is also the problem because the release of oxytocin makes us feel close when it's released, which is what we desire, so we want to feel close, we're created to feel close, but then it's addictive. So what we have in our world is lots of people who get together and they experience a physical intimacy with an oxytocin reward, which makes them feel close in the moment. Then, of course, the oxytocin dies down. They don't feel close anymore. Nobody's taught them what it means to be emotionally close, so therefore they go back and they're together again and get another rush of oxytocin. Which means you've got all these people going around, and then after a few years, that doesn't quite cut it anymore, and they go, well, we don't have anything together. No, because they got caught up by, a, by an addiction to an oxytocin boost, as opposed to an oxytocin boost that comes from emotional intimacy and the depth of that. So, that's something to be aware of. That's why this time for some people and telling them they've got to be apart is horrific. Because, because they're deprived of that oxytocin, they're deprived of that sense of closeness, that sense of touch. Touch is key for some people. Some people's primary love language is touch. Well, the government tried to deprive people for a year of their primary love language. Is it any wonder there's going to be a, some challenges and some issues? So I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling you about intimacy because... Intimacy and trust are what we call mutually inclusive. That means you can't have one without the other. So they're mutually inclusive. They're found together. So you can't have trust without intimacy, but you can't have intimacy without trust. The two go together, as I'm going to show you. So intimacy and trust go hand in hand, as I'm going to show you. Trust, of course, is a choice and why it has to be built. Emotional intimacy is also a choice, and it has to be built. And and intimacy is built with the same building blocks as trust, openness, honesty, vulnerability, and transparency. So the building blocks of these two things are exactly the same, because they live together. So let me me take you through these, okay? Because um, I want to talk about emotional intimacy first, and then I want to talk about how we build trust. And I want you to think about your own relationships, and on what level you share in those relationships. So uh, there's kind of, I mean, some, some psychologists say there's three, some say there's five, some say there's nine, but I'm going to go with five levels of, of emotional intimacy, okay? So level one, we call this safe communication. This is the lowest level of communication. This is the sort of thing you would share if you'd met somebody for the first time. Um, it's more about the exchange of facts and information. There's no feelings, no opinions, no personal vulnerability, and therefore no risk of rejection which is why it's the first level of, of emotional intimacy. It's the kind of interaction we have with people we don't know well. It's like, it's lousy weather we're having. The football team did this. I had this great pizza. It gives nothing away other than factual kind of information. Then the level two is, is what we might put people's opinions and beliefs. So at level two, we start sharing other people's thoughts and beliefs. We, we're beginning to reveal more about ourselves through our associations with others. So we might say, my friend says this, my dad says this, 
this great person I've read about says this. And in that way, we're kind of testing the other person's reaction to what we're sharing without saying what we think. So we're not divulging anything of ourselves, but we know whether we agree or disagree with this person, so it's kind of a step towards it. Well, this person says this, this person says that, and then you're going to gauge where they're at as to whether they're going to kind of be with you or not. It's slightly more vulnerable, but because we're not sharing our own opinions, we can distance ourselves if we feel threatened by criticism or rejection. Then you get to level three, which is like your opinions and beliefs. And we start taking small risks at this level because we've been to share a little bit. But of course, if it's an opinion or a belief, if conflict or pain come, we can easily change our mind about that belief. So it's, you know, I, I believe this is true. I believe that's true. I believe so-and-so is wonderful. I believe this is fantastic. And then if someday you can easily kind of roll back on that without really being hurt. Because you're not really sharing anything of yourself yet. You're just sharing what you think, which can easily be changed. Level four is my feelings and experience. So this is the next level of vulnerability in intimacy. And at this level, we talk about our joys, pain, failures, our mistakes, our dreams, goals, what we like, don't like, what makes us who we are. This is more vulnerable because you can't change how you feel about something or the details of your past. So you can't roll back on this now. You can't go, oh, I didn't mean that. No, no this, is, this is a fact about you, a deep fact about who you are. And of course, if we sense we might be rejected or criticized, we can just kind of convince other people that that's not us anymore, or this didn't happen, or, well, well, I'm not like that anymore. We can kind of still roll back a little bit. Then you've got level five, which is the highest intimacy. It's the level where we are known at the deepest core of who we are. Because of that, it requires the greatest amount of trust. But fascinatingly, you don't get the greatest amount of trust until you share at this level. And unlike the other levels, there's no escape. Because once I let you see who I really am, I can no longer convince you otherwise. This means we offer our most vulnerable part of ourselves. And of course, our greatest fear is it could be used against us. But when we share the deepest part of our heart about what we really think, about what we really feel, about our fears, our worries, our anxieties, our vulnerabilities, um, when we express need, like, I, I need this from you. I need you to love me in this way. And I, I, those are deep things of your heart when you express what you really feel about this, that, or the other. It's a level where we let others see our emotional reaction to things, which, if you like me, isn't always a pretty sight. And it's fairly obvious for that to happen in order for us to share at those levels. We need people around us who we can trust. But fascinatingly, trust do not come at level one communication when you're just talking about the weather. So there's this kind of, this is why they're called mutually inclusive. They happen together. You can't just share other people's opinions and beliefs and then be in a deeply trusting relationship because you've, you've given them nothing to trust with. Trust gets built when you give somebody something to hold. Trust is like a, a gift, that you are, something precious that you are giving away. And if I give you something precious, then trust is about, will you hold this thing that's precious to me in the way that I would hold it? That's what it means to, to trust somebody with something. So if I share my heart with you, and I go and I share my feelings with you, part of me kind of giving you this gift, which is something that's really precious to me, and at level two and level three, it's not particularly precious so, which means that if you don't look after it as I'd look after it, I'm not hurt as much. But the further you go down these levels, and the more things that are valuable to you and precious to you, you share, the more it hurts you if they're not handled as you would handle them. But you want to know if you can trust a person when you've given them something precious. 
So, of course, what we do is we start, we start at the beginning and we go slowly. Well, well, we start at the beginning. And this is why I said at the beginning, trust does not take time in the sense that you choose how quickly you move through those stages. Trust takes vulnerability, openness, transparency, and honesty. Time of itself is nothing magical. We speak of time as, as magical qualities. We say things like time heals. No, Jesus heals. Forgiveness heals. Being open and honest heals. Sharing the reality of the pain heals. Time doesn't heal. Time of itself has no magical quality. Time of itself does not build trust. Building trust means moving through those levels of intimacy and sharing part of your life. If, 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 if trust is built with time, we can just sit here and talk about the weather and suddenly we'll be in a trusting relationship. But you know that it doesn't work like that. And, and so the reality is, what we could say is the pace of building a trusting relationship is dependent upon our ability to move through those levels of intimacy. It's more than possible for people to sit in a relationship and five years down the line still be talking about level one. And then they go, I don't have anybody I can trust. Well, of course. And this is a big topic that we're just starting exploring. Of course, there's lots of ways to explore it. So you move through, you start, you, you give them something less precious and go, how do they handle that? Then you give them something a little bit more precious and go, how do they handle that? And you watch and you see. And one of the beautiful things that I think about having a family is, is that you can talk to other people and go, do you trust them? How have you found them to be trustworthy? And I, I love it now because people come to me and they, they go, well, I, I don't know, I can trust you. And I go, okay, well, you can go talk to any of these people and ask them. Because I've walked with them for 10 years and I've walked with them for 7 years and I've walked with them for 4 years and I've walked with them for 13 years. Go, go ask them. That's the beautiful thing about a family that's moving in these things is that, and then things can move quicker because you've got this reassurance. You've got all these people who are going, yeah, no, actually, this is what I've found and this is what I've done and this is what I've learned and which is how it's meant to be because hopefully those who are coming up after can move quicker into those places, which means they get restored even quicker, which means they go on to restore other people even quicker and so there's an acceleration going on. That's why it's exciting to be part of a family where we can re- help one another, bless one another, encourage one another. Okay, let's talk about uh, trust cycles. Have you got that one? Uh, so this is, uh, this is one of the ways that, well, it's a way of, seeing how trust is built trust is essentially built through a need being met which brings contentment but there are some very important steps on the process as you see as we walk through it so the easiest way to describe this is by using a newborn baby because that's where you start to learn to trust when you're first born so baby has a need Uh, baby needs feeding baby expresses that need baby cries if there is response to that need i.e. somebody comes and picks that baby up and feeds that baby, in other words, there's a response that he's satisfied, then that baby is content. But also, they've learned that if they express a need, that need gets met, and therefore, they're content and trust built. If that cycle continues when you're little, you come to learn that if you express a need, that need gets met. And that's how basic trust gets built. Now, of course, and it's really key for kids under five, because if under the age of five you have come to learn that trust is built in that way and, it's, and you can trust people who you express a need to, it's much easier for you when you're trusting relationships in the future because you come from a place of people are trustworthy and therefore it's easier for you to share. Because for a lot of people, they didn't have that when they were little. 
then there are some consequences for those who didn't receive the love and care they should have got when they were little. Neurologically, some things sometimes don't happen. That means it's difficult for them to move into trusting places. I'm going to talk about how you regain trust and rebuild trust and how you, how you um, help people who struggle to trust and how those who struggle to trust can be helped. We're going to do all that later on. Um, because there are lots of people out there who find, who find they desperately want somebody to trust. But there's a way to help people specifically who have not learned to trust or found it difficult trusting. And it's not the same. You can't treat people all the same. Everybody's different. But the good news is that we can always learn to trust. Uh, that's the good news. You can always learn and always be in that place. And it can all be redeemed and restored. But you can see from here our necessary openness, honesty, are in building trust. If we don't share our needs, trust can't be built. So a very, can you put it back on that? Sorry, I know that. I'm sure the people in the stream would rather look at a diagram than me anyway. So, um, so, so, so we all have needs. First of all, we have to know what our needs are. We have to identify them, which means taking a little bit of time working out what you really need, not what you think you need. But then you've got to express it. Well, that involves openness and honesty and vulnerability. So if you are not open and honest or vulnerable with somebody, you can't enter a trusting relationship and trust can't be built because it's not expressed because it all starts with expressing something. So we have to express it and then there's that response. And of course, that's why we, we do it slowly. We give somebody this. We give something that's quite precious to us and more precious and more precious and we build this place. Of course, the sharing of those needs is deeply risky, especially if we had shared needs before and they've not been met or if we become used to them not being met through our childhood. How will we know that this person will respond to our need when we put ourselves out there and share? And that's really why I shared with you those levels of intimacy, because as we move through deeper levels of intimacy, we also give ourselves the opportunity to move through levels of trust. And building trust is a big battle, because trust is built through intimacy, but intimacy requires trust. Is it any wonder, then, that many people never get to experience the joy of deep emotional intimacy with others? But one of the things that we've got to keep going at, and wherever you're at on this journey, I want to encourage you to go further. Because I believe we were designed for deep emotional connection and intimacy with each other. And not just with one person, not just with a husband or wife or with a best friend, but with many, many people. When I look at Jesus, I say he had deep emotional intimacy with his disciples and with those around him, including the women around him. He was a deeply emotionally connected person. And it seems to me from Genesis, we're meant to be that way. In fact, I'd go so far as to say this. Deep emotional intimacy with those around us should be normal in the kingdom of God. It should be normal in the kingdom of God. It's not something special. This is what the kingdom is meant to look like. Community, togetherness, family, openness, honesty, as a norm. Not some special thing for certain people. That's what I believe Jesus modeled with the people around him. And it should especially be normal for anybody who's leading anything in the kingdom of God. It should especially be normal. Because if it's not normal for anybody who's leading something, then how can they lead anybody else there? It should especially be normal. For me, somebody who claims to be about the kingdom but doesn't walk in deep emotional relationships with a number of people around them, well, that just isn't the kingdom. I don't know what it is, but it's not the kingdom of God. Because to me, we were designed for it. We were designed to live lives that were together, open, together, in reality. And we can do all sorts of other things and talk about all sorts of other things, but 
You know, in John 17, in fact, let's just go there for a second. My prayer is, this is Jesus talking, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Well, you don't get to be one unless you're emotionally intimate together. They just don't happen, does it? Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. So how is the world going to believe that you were sent? Not through miracles. Not through 24-7 prayer. But through us being one. He goes on, I have given them the glory you gave me. And you can listen to the messages from this time last year about this because it's phenomenal. But anyway, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. How is the world going to know that the world is loved when we're one? But I seem to hear a lot more about when we have miracles and when we have revival and when we have 24-7 prayer. Well, if we just worked on being one, Jesus said... As in, been together, the whole world will know that we're loved. And the whole world will see him as he is. So for me, if I have one message that I'm going to preach anywhere, it's got to be that. It's got to be about being together. It's got to be about being one. It's got to be about walking in trust and intimacy together. It's got to be about modeling it. And I am astounded. I'm just astounded that I don't hear more about it because to me it's really obvious as to what's meant to happen. Faye and I did an interview a little while ago, I don't know, a few weeks ago, uh, with um, a wonderful, wonderful brother called uh, Alan Dickinson in the Northeast. And, And somebody on that call kind of, and it floored me because he said, I've never heard, and I was talking about us being a son of Paul and the relationship we enjoy and how it works as a church and all that. And somebody on the call said, I've never heard a relationship expressed like that in 45 years. I go, wow. He floored me. I couldn't, he absolutely floored me for like a number of days. I was like, but this is meant to be normal for the kingdom of God, for everybody. This is how it's meant to be. How is it possible? The poor man, my heart went out for him 45 years and he's not seen it. What the heck? Surely this is normal, isn't it? Shouldn't it be normal? I think it should be normal, and I'm going to keep banging the drum as long as I can about it. Because when I read this, I go, Jesus doesn't say. In fact, he said, you've seen a load of miracles, and you still don't believe. And yet we've got millions of people banging on about when we see more miracles, people will know Jesus. What? Why don't we chase togetherness? Why don't we chase trust and intimacy? Why don't we chase oneness? Then maybe the world will see something a little bit different. Because the reason we don't chase it is because it costs more than anything. It doesn't cost as much to chase all sorts of different things that look great, sound great, look good on YouTube. But real intimacy with those around us, real vulnerability, honesty, openness, that costs. But of course, Jesus was very clear that the kingdom costs. But it's also meant to bring life. And I know the life I have, living the life I live with you together, with all the people around me in different places, it gives me life, man.
life, real life, and I love it. And I want as many people as possible to walk in the depth of relationship together. And I realize I may have, I may have kind of brought more questions and answers this morning. There's all sorts to think about. And yes, there's wisdom about it. And yes, you don't just talk to anybody. And yes, you build it. And yes, there's all sorts of caveats around it, which we'll get into over the coming weeks. But for now, just think about, okay, where am I at? What does it mean for me to live in that place? What does it mean for me to go deeper with people? What does it mean to share more? Because the reward far outweighs the risk. Far outweighs the risk. When, when, when you know that people understand the same things as you, it far outweighs it. Okay, I feel like I could just keep talking, but I'm not going to. Um, let's just be quiet for a moment, shall we? I don't, let's just be quiet for a moment. Father, I want to lift up to you all those who have been hurt because what they gave to somebody else wasn't treated as precious. Because they were bold enough and brave enough to share the heart. And they gave their own precious pearls to somebody else. And then those pearls were not treated in the right way. My heart breaks for him, Jesus, as I know yours does. And I pray, Father, more than anything else, you would meet those people with a special touch from you, dear Father. That you would touch them deep in their hearts, Father. That you would know just how proud of them you were when they shared, when they moved towards a relationship of honesty and openness and trust and intimacy. And Father, I pray for those of us who have still got some pain, Father, that you would touch and heal us, Father. You would heal us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I want to thank you for all the people you put around me, Father, who I have given precious things to and they have looked after them just as I would want them looking after. I want to thank you for every person, Father. I want to thank you for the privilege and honor of walking in trusting, intimate relationships. And I pray, Father, that more and more and more that might be the reality of our lives, Lord that we would be able to testify that because of these relationships we are one and the world would see that you love it and you love all who are in it. That they would see and know the passion and love you have for them. And they'd come to see, Lord, that it's possible 
to be known and to be loved and to be loved and to be known. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray. I just particularly pray this morning, Father, if there's anything, Lord, that's come out of my mouth that doesn't come from your throne room, Father, I am sorry. And I pray, Lord, that you would just cause those words to fall away, Father. But, Lord, anything that is from you, Father, I pray they would find good seed in our hearts, Father, that it would cause us to question and move forward and think and ponder. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father.